What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast brought to you by Caneswear. I am your host, Peter Ariz, alongside D-Money. D, I'm hoping that the Canes were going to be able to, you know, stack a couple wins on top of each other uh, after that win against Virginia Tech. Obviously, that did not happen uh, against Duke. Blue Devils got the win against Miami. Simply put, what's wrong right now? Because, I mean, we, we do this show every week, and we get into these topics, right? And we, we talk about certain things week after week, right? A lot of them are showing uh, on the field. Uh, but what is wrong? Because this is not just, this is a deep issue, it seems like. Yeah, it's uh, tough times. You know, you can see I'm wearing my work clothes here. I had to put in extra hours and just rush straight over here. Can't count on that Canes inside money. When the team's getting smoked by Middle Tennessee and Duke at home, so got to make sure I'm uh, taking care of my business at work. But look, I think the fundamental problem is that Mario is learning his team, and he's learning the hard way. And you know, people can ask, well, we didn't pay him eight million dollars on the job. You know, certainly he's an experienced coach, but he's learning lessons. Uh, I think that involves coaching, the coaching staff. It involves the players. When you look at the staff, it was very much an all-star staff in terms of guys that had individual success. But it was also guys that did not have experience with Mario Cristobal. So he's learning about those guys the hard way in some cases as he watches the team. Uh, Positions that he may have thought were a strength, he's learning the hard way. They're not as strong as they looked in camp again cornerback being one of them um offensive line you were hoping to be better it is not and also been ravaged by injuries uh you know the injury problem and i mentioned we were vesting in sports science unfortunately that's not translated to health you got uh you know three offensive linemen out starters arroyo your best tight end out two to three running backs out depending on the game um receivers out it promising guys on defense like chase smith out um it is you're not seeing that sports science translate the conditioning you're not necessarily seeing translate because in the fourth quarter duke i mean but aren't these things that that you know take more than a year less than a year to implement some of them are and you know so there's two sides to it on one side you say okay he inherited this roster, which if you look at the roster, it has two transition classes, meaning Rick leaves, Manny comes in halfway through recruiting. You get a class that's not going to be a tremendous class. Um, you also have last year's transition class, which has a lot of good players in it, but is small in volume because it's a transition class. So two transition classes plus some disappointing classes in 2018 and the 2020 class, when you look at it, is, is not looking as good as you would have hoped once the, the results start coming in, um, even despite the high ranking. So there's a ro- there's roster issues, certainly. Um, but the controllables aren't looking that good. You know, I mentioned last the turnover. I mean, yeah, eight turnovers. Eight, eight, it's, yeah. it's unheard of. Uh, the, the penalties the week before, might one of the most penalized teams in the country. Um, the big plays on defense that are just bust. And some of these things are just the fundamentals that you'd expect to be to be cleaned up pretty early on. Right. It's like what Flores used to, uh, Coach Flores for the Dolphins used to call take no talent. It takes no talent to not bust in coverage yeah. and, and have the right assignment. It takes no talent to hold on to the football in many respects. Uh, 
you know, throwing interceptions is certainly not an arm strength issue or, or even an accuracy issue. A lot of it's decision making um, and the penalties, the it, all of these things the are controllable things. And it's frustrating you're not seeing that show up considering the investment you've made financially in the coaching staff, um, as well as, you know, conditioning issues, injury issues, et cetera. Uh, with that said, when you look at Mario Cristobal, the comparison you make for him is Butch Davis. He is a builder. He's not someone that's going to come in and with a scheme or with some sort of, you know, just different approach is going to immediately turn the team around. That's not really what you paid for. You, you paid for better results than getting smoked by Middle Tennessee and Duke at home, but you didn't pay for somebody to come in and do a quick fix. You paid for someone to build this the right way in a way that's sustainable with championship-level talent year after year. So you kind of look at it like some of Butch's seasons early in probation, the worst one among them being 5-7. and seven. Uh, We talked to Steve Kim last week about the East Carolina game and some of those low points, similar in many respects to what we're going through now. Um, although I think, I, think th- I mean, look, I, I don't uh, remember those seasons, right? But uh, or that season, I should say. But I think that Canes fans are looking for positives to hold on to, and they're few and far between right now, which is which is where the issue comes in. I'm struggling with it too. I mean, I live on positivity, so to not have that <laughs> anything I can point to hurts. You know, I want to say this is improving, that's improving, and there's really nothing to say. What I will say, if you're looking for positivity, and I mentioned it on a prior podcast. The guys from this class are performing, which says that this guy has some talent evaluation ability. Right. Colby Young, we saw him again have a great game. Wesley Bassain playing more and more. Um, Ines Cooper, I think, would have played if not for some health issues. Uh, Matt McCoy, who did not play again, is banged up. I heard he's someone they really, really like. Skinner, um, Nigel Lee Kelly. These are all guys that are going to play a major role in this team going forward. And then the transfers, Daryl Jackson looking like an NFL First, second round pick, a Raekwon Davis type, Mesador, Parrish. You saw how good he is. He needs to get the ball more. So these are all guys that they identified and added. Um, so the, the optimism is you're going to take those guys. You're going to add six to ten more transfers. That's the number I'm, I'm expecting. Uh, let's say 24 signees. You have 17 commits right now. That's going to drastically reshape your roster on top of what was brought in last year. So... If you're looking for optimism, it's the way that that these guys have identified talent and not just signing highly ranked guys. Colby Young was not a highly ranked guy. That was an evaluation. If you look at what Butch Davis did well, it was evaluation. Oh, imagine what he's going to look like and, and how, how he should hypothetically uh, progress when he has a full offseason at Miami. That's the hope. Yeah. That's the hope. And that you'll see the build. But right now, it's bleak. I mean, there's yeah. really not much you could point to and get excited about. Although, you know, silver lining, obviously the TVD injury, you hate to see it. You know, I don't think it's going to be a catastrophic injury where it's affecting his career. You want to take your time and protect his arm, um, both for what he can do for your program and also for the kid and his, his aspirations. Um, but you get to see a little bit of the future with Jake Garcia and possibly Jakari Brown, who play, both of whom played in the last game. So, you know, they got to get some wins. You can't let this season just go completely sideways because you got to have some wins in your pocket to recruit and to sell optimism and get some kind of energy in the, in the city. But I like the fact that we're at least getting a look at Jake Garcia as the starter, not coming in and, and making all the mistakes he did last time. But you're the starter. You come in, and, you, and this is your team. Get ready. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. Obviously, um, he had his ups and downs last week. 
Uh, but I think the mentality that you, you alluded to it is a little bit different going into the game as the starter. He's always been the guy. So I, I think being the backup quarterback, right, he's played the role and he's done a great job of it. I, we've mentioned on this podcast before and the guys will say it. He's he's gonna be, he's in the locker room around these guys outside of the locker room. He he's a guy that they trust and and they really do like a lot. Um, but he so he's he's accepted that role well. But now stepping up and having the opportunity to be the guy, right? We can see that moxie. We can see some of that as you've talked about. I think you've used the uh, comparison of a Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. Right, because you aren't going to find him having the biggest arm in the world. He's not going to be running a four-four, uh, but he has the intangibles. Right, um, where I think now him being, like I said, him having that that confidence, so to speak, uh, that he's the guy. And who knows what happens moving forward? Like you said, how long this injury for for TBD? Hopefully, he gets back uh, asap for 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 his health and for his career. Um, but. Just excited for Jake and the opportunity that he has now. And Jakari Brown continues to show flashes, right, throughout his uh, opportunities that he's gotten. And um, I think it's obvious that he's going to be probably a bigger part of the game plan than he's than he's already been moving forward. Yeah, you start with Jake. So having seen Jake since he got here in practice, um, both you know last year in that system and then this year, he's somebody that when he's at his best, he's stringing completions together. He's going, you know, 10 to 12 and, and really heating up and getting in rhythm and making short to medium throws with accuracy, timing, and the ball's coming out quick. Everything is happening quick. That's his game. He's sitting there and really thinking and processing a ton and then having to drive the ball, though he does have a good arm. That's not really his game. He is very much an up-tempo, pass-first point guard who wants to distribute the ball and get it out of his hands fast. Um what you saw against Duke is di- is different than what we've seen in scrimmages and in spring games and his limited game time before that. Not to say he hasn't had times where he struggled with interceptions. Certainly uh, this spring, he took some time to adjust to Gattis' offense. But he's better than what he showed. I don't think that's him. I think what happened with him, you had very poor interior play between Lawrence Big Baby Seymour, who turned out, you know, he's really not what he was – he looked like he was going to be as a young player in high school um, and, and some of the other interior linemen, which had been very banged up, struggled to protect. When you get that interior pressure and you're a guy like Jake who's not super elusive, that's going to really, really get to you. And I think you saw some of that with the turnovers. Um, need to protect better, but really I think the best protection for Jake is more up-tempo, get the ball out of his hands quick, and let him get in rhythm and, and show what he can do in that respect. And I think when he's doing that, he is – going to give us a look that will give us a chance to win. Now, Virginia is a very strong defense relatively to the rest of their team. You know, they're 124th in scoring offense, so they're not going to be putting up a lot of points. Which is cr- which is crazy because from a talent perspective, right, they have some guys, which is why I still think this is a, you know, a deceptively tough... You know, everyone's a tough matchup for, for Miami at the, at, at the end of the day right now. But they have some guys that can spread you out the quarterback play hasn't been great, Brennan Armstrong, but he had some buzz before the year. He's shown some things, uh, you know, previously on tape that he could be a guy, right? So they haven't, you know, kind of like Miami, right? They haven't uh, done it, done it offensively this year. But 
they have a six seven receiver in Lavelle Davis. Keaton Thompson is a guy who played quarterback at Mississippi State. It's kind of their do it all weapon. He'll be playing in the league. I don't know, uh, you know what how how fast he's going to run and all that, but he's just going to be a guy that the teams fall in love with, whether it be as a tight end type, uh, just a bigger receiver, whatever it is, an H back. They'll probably use him at Wildcat and expect UVA to use him in all these different types of ways. They you know they they line him up at halfback they'll give him jet sweeps so he's a guy to watch and then Dontavion Wicks uh, at the receiver spot as well so they have guys but you know like you said their defense has been you know better than better than the offensive side of the ball and that's scary because our offense has struggled and you got a quarterback coming in that's new so you're talking about a defense that's 14th in the nation in yards but per play. See, with it, when it comes to Jake too I'll say this I think he does have the mental he has the mental fortitude to kind of kind of shake off what happened last week, right? I think with a young quarterback, right, because he's still only in his second year um, and he hasn't started, that's a worry that, that you're going to have, right? And it's a tough situation right now. Things aren't going great. I expect for him to step up to the, to the opportunity and kind of look at it like, all right, well, I know things are kind of down in the dumps right now, um, and we may not have the easiest task ahead, um, but I think he'll rally the guys. So, And that will give some energy to the program if Jake goes out there and has a great performance. Now you got Juice coming in. He's a very well-liked guy, very magnetic personality. The players love him. Um, so he comes in and plays well. That's going to give us some energy and some juice. And it's going to give you some optimism for the future because he is hopefully part of the future of this program. Now all of this sounds great, but is he going to have the protection up front? Are they gonna, you know, are they gonna execute how they're supposed to execute? Is the is the run game gonna be there? So, it's, you know, I believe he's he can do it, um, but there's gonna have to be a lot of things that fall into place that haven't happened so far. No question about it. Virginia's a physical team. That's kind of what they've always been when they play Miami. They're able to push people around up front. Uh, or Mandy Alonzo last year really causing a lot of problems. Number ninety one. I mean, they they win matchups. Up front. One of their better defensive players this year is another South Florida guy, Anthony Johnson from Chaminade, um, who actually transferred from Louisville. But, yeah, I mean, it seems like they, they'll snag a guy from South Florida uh, every now and then. Yeah, no, and uh, they have an odd front. Their defense can be tricky um, with some of the things they do as far as their pressures. Um, but, again, just the physical size is what really causes problems, at least by ACC standards. They're bigger than they are fast, and that is – typically a tough matchup especially when Miami now undersized with all the injuries up front so it'll be a challenge but again you want to protect Jake get the ball out of his hands quick use Henry Parrish he's your best player uh, on offense right now besides Kobe Young so you want to get him going um, and again if Jake is even if they're short passes if he's completing them that's when he's really at his best. And then he will hit the deep balls you saw last week with Kobe Young, a beautiful pass to make a big explosive play, which Miami has needed desperately this season. Um, but then Jakari, you know, you don't want to necessarily see Jakari in this game for an extended period because that means something happened to Jake or he didn't perform. Uh, but I have to say I'm intrigued seeing just the physical size, the athleticism. You know, I've seen him in practice, and he's got a whip-like delivery. I've always compared it to Lamar Jackson, the way he just kind of whips it with velocity. Uh, he's getting more accurate. He's improved tremendously since the spring. He's somebody that either he, you know, will, will get his opportunity this season due to injuries or ineffective play. Maybe he's not ready, but you know, he's the next man up. Or you'll just see more out of the package. And I think the passing part of it will be interesting to see because he's capable of 
if you load the box expecting it to run, he's capable of, of hitting explosive plays with his arm. And, and, you know, will you see that this week? I don't know. But that's something to, to consider as he continues to be a short yardage solution for a Miami team that's, that struggled in that area. You mentioned Henry Parrish. I mean, what's your hope for the run game moving forward? It's been, I, I feel like I say it every week, but it's it hasn't been something that they can necessarily rely on. I know a lot of that, again, is what's happening up front. Um, but what's the best case scenario for the, for that run game moving forward? Henry Parrish, uh, I think you want to see Jalen Knighton get something going. He's never been a great runner. 3.9, we talked about last week, is kind of what he is. But get him going, making plays. You watch his highlights from last year. You say, where is this guy? You know, who are we seeing this year? And, of course, the fumbles have been catastrophic with, with Knighton. So if you can get something out of him, you're doing well. You know, Thad, I just don't see it. And Lucius Stanley's only going to give you what he gives you. So that's, that's a position that's, that's really, really beaten down after looking so strong coming into the season. Um, I think it's just going to be a lot of parish like Columbus when he was getting the ball 25, 30 times. I don't think that's a bad idea. Obviously, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but with the way he runs, with the way he avoids direct hits, uh, I think he can have a bigger load than he's gotten. And uh, now is the time to really f- feature him. And then offensive line-wise, do you expect that that group to get healthy anytime soon, or is it just going to be this mix-and-match uh, thing week by week moving forward? They're banged up. I uh, wouldn't expect Zion back anytime soon or, or Justice Oluwasu. And, uh, Inez Cooper's got, like you said, I, th- you know, I think he was banged up last week, but I would expect him to be starting at some point soon. Yeah, health with him. And, and Matthew McCoy, again, I've heard a lot of good things about this guy. That They feel like got one with him as well. So he's been banged up also. If you can get him healthy, he's somebody that can factor in. And, you know, we're talking about multiple true freshmen offensive line, probably not a great sign. But at least, you know, these guys are hits. Start to Listen, you talk about building depth. This is how it happens, right? You, you get some of these young guys who probably aren't ready to be – in the in this position right now but they come in next camp and they battle with some of these hopefully these five stars that you that you bring in right and then it's a real competition and then if that guy who isn't a five star isn't ready just yet then you have real depth that's that's being built absolutely and look if you look at the 2020 offensive line class i mean there's not much there to show the 2000 aside from jalen rivers uh, you know, 2021, Seymour has been a disappointment. Ryan Rodriguez has been hurt, really not a factor. Uh, Michael McLaughlin has, some, has has a chance talent-wise, but he's been hurt. So just really two classes. You're getting nothing out of him aside from Jalen Rivers, and you really, really need help there. Um, so if you're wondering why the offensive line is struggling, they're going to have to do. They're going to do a lot of work in the portal. I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talk about the receiver spot a lot, but I could see them bringing in two to three starter type guys next year in their eyes, at least. Well, some of those starters might be freshmen because right. Francis Malagoa, top 10 player nationally. He was at the game last week. I'm sure he saw himself in the starting lineup as he watched that game. And, and, and I mean so, more so that what the staff is bringing and saying, this guy could be a starter for us. Right. So even if he's not, I'm talking about starter level guys, the way they brought in a, a, a Daryl Jackson this year. Yeah, and Daryl Jackson is not just the body. He's an impact NFL guy. I think that's, that's going to be sort of the theme when you talk about the transfer portal. When I say 6 to 10, I thought 6 to 10 guys that make an impact uh, very much on the team immediately and have a chance to play at the professional level. Uh, I think more so than filling spots. 
that's what you're looking at in the portal. Uh, that's, that's the hope. That's the goal. And there's a lot of confidence that will get done. And when we come back, we'll get to the bank. All right. Welcome back to the Canes Insight podcast. Got the bank now deep brought to you by underdog fantasy and the bank. I think this is, uh, this is what the fans are waiting for. Obviously the on-field product hasn't been too good. So the recruiting, what do we got? You know, Pete, talk about the bank. The real bank has been underdog fantasy. I'm up to five and one. Really should have been six and oh in my picks on this show. Brees Hall tore his ACL right before he beat the number, would have beaten it in the first half. So we're rolling. Um, you sign up using our link, which is on the forum, social media, this podcast, or you use promo code CIS, either one. You get a hundred dollar match up to your deposit. You can go playing daily fantasy and laying down money right away. Uh, you know, pick three in a row on over-unders on player performance. You hit all three, you get a six times what you put in. So do the math on some of these picks. Um, you got NBA, NFL, MMA, everything that's hot right now is on underdog fantasy, including college football. Pick a player over under a certain amount of yards, touchdowns, you name it. Um, you can do daily fantasy drafts. Those are happening constantly. It'll set your roster for you so you don't have to worry about waivers and starters and all that. Just pick a team, lay some money down, uh, and win some money. You can invite your friends. Anything you want to do on Underdog Fantasy, it's so easy. The app is extremely easy to use. Sign up. Again, use our link, which is on the forum, our social media, Canes.Inside at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, this YouTube page. Um, you could use, again, promo code CIS, another way to get it. You will get a free match, Underdog Fantasy. Okay, so now talking recruiting. And people have been asking me for names lately, and they're wondering why I'm being so quiet. Is it because the team is doing bad? that the recruiting is going down. And really, the reason is we are recruiting heavily and getting feedback, positive feedback from a lot of players that are committed to other teams. And I'm talking about teams that have been in the college football playoff recently. Uh, you guys can probably figure some out. Some you won't be able to figure out. But these are positions of need, positions that you may say, you know, are we, how are we doing in this position? I'm not hearing a lot of new names. I'm not seeing the board expand. Well, the reason the board is not expanding is because there's traction with guys committed elsewhere. And again, people are going to guess. Some of these are names you, you have not been talking about. Um, so that's really what's happening. In terms of numbers, I'm told up to, let's say, 24, 25 as a fluid number. But you're going to try to keep what you can in this class, 17 committed, and then add you know eight more, uh, seven more, depends. Could be more, could be less, but in that range. And then transfer portal, again, the number I'm hearing is 6 to 10, and they're looking for impact impact players. So this is going to be a major roster turnover um, You know, in terms of, of positions where I'd expect names to be added to this class as far as high school kids. I would say safety, linebacker, which could include the junior college ranks. You know, Miami will be looking at the junior college ranks for linebackers. They want impact players there, especially with Chase Smith being out now. He'll be back next year, but you still want to add some healthy, talented bodies to that room on top of the guys already committed. Um, you know, running back, wide receiver, I'd expect names to be added there at those positions. Uh, offensive line still after after Samson hard in the game there. That's going to be a battle. Ohio State's making a run. Florida's making a run. Um, he, he's got big dreams. He's got, He's very focused on his brand, but Miami's made a great pitch both 
you know, in terms of just off the field opportunities and also how he can be developed by Mario Cristobal. Um, they feel solid about their current commits, uh, even with a bad performance like we just saw. No imminent signs of a problem as far as the current class. You know, 2024, I'm a little worried about because you'd like to see some winning momentum for those guys. So you got a running start next year. Uh, but this class is shaping up to be a very strong one based on all indications. And the reason it's quiet now is because they are working very, very hard on top name guys that are committed elsewhere. That's, that's, that's the story on the class on recruiting. Florida State, circle that weekend. That's a weekend where you're going to have a lot of big time kids trying to get on campus. Um, it's going to be an important game. You want to fill up that stadium. If Miami could pull off a win there, not only will it help the momentum of the season, it'll greatly uh, increase the momentum of the recruiting class because you're going to see all of these top guys funneled to that weekend of Florida State with the full stadium and hopefully a great experience. So that's the bank. All right. Well, we got questions coming up next. No, we got a new format, and uh, we'll check that out when we get back on the Canes Inside podcast brought to you by Canesware. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canesware is still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season. You know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing, investing yourself, investing your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear, the best in the business for South Florida sports. All right, so we have some voice notes to play uh, from the Canes community, the Canes Insight community, I should say. And we're going to do this every week. We're still going to do the questions from the board and from social media as well. But this is our first go at this. So let's uh, let's hear what you guys have to say here. Yeah, we want different voices. You guys are tired of hearing from me and Pete. I want to hear what you guys got to say, your energy, your passion. So, you know, Gmail, Kane's Insight, uh, send it over. We want to hear what you got to say. Tell us how, how dumb we are. Tell, you know, vent about the team, whatever it is. We, we, we want to hear it. So uh, let's get it. Let's get it rolling. Yo, Kane's Insight Podcast. What's good, man? Hey, well, shout out to D Money, man. Shout out to my brothers on the on the on the on the thing, man. Uh, Gogeta Four, Liberty City L. Those are my boys right there. Uh, shout out to uh, my boy Z Rod, even though I feel like he be hating sometimes. But yeah. Uh, so real quick, I got a question for the podcast, man. It seems like since we've been self-destructing this year, it feel like a lot of people are turning against. They're saying South Florida kids suck. They're soft. I hate them. How do you feel about people? Um, you know, like trying to shit on South Florida players, man. Like kids play football out here, man. Like. I think it's I think it's disgusting. I think it's terrible. Those people have no clue what they're doing, no clue, no clue what they're talking about per se. And if they if they look if, it, if they look at our rosters, most of the players underperforming or not even performing at all are out of state players or kids that aren't from South Florida. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your time. So this is a topic that's uh, near and dear to our heart. You know, by the way, thank you for the voicemail, Kella. That was awesome. You know, this is a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. We're the South Florida Homers of the Year. So. You know, a couple of years back, I went and looked at out-of-state players that Miami had signed during our down period and South Florida players. The South Florida players significantly outperformed the out-of-state players. It wasn't even close from an NFL standpoint, a starting standpoint, whatever. Just the South Florida players were much better. Reason being, Miami was sharp shopping in the bargain bin out-of-state. 
in-state, they were at least getting a couple good guys that would go on to be professionals, although there were a lot of busts mixed in there as well uh, from South Florida. So I haven't updated that, that research yet, but you know, when it comes to South Florida, look around the country at other teams. Tennessee, their left tackle, not receiver at all, left tackle is from South Florida, Gerald Mincy from Broward. Alabama, left tackle of Alabama, one of the most prestigious offensive line spots in the country, Tyler Steen, St. Thomas Aquinas. So, you know, Marcus Tate starting for Clemson on the offensive line. Uh, Renato Brown, a standout offensive lineman for Louisville. That's just on the offensive line. Oh, Mikel Jones at, at Syracuse. One of the best linebackers in the country. Who are the two best wide receivers? Maybe the three. Who are the Zay th- Flowers. It, ACC, the three best wide receivers, arguably, at least three of the top five. Zay Flowers, you mentioned. A.T. Perry from Palm Beach. Zay Flowers from University in, in Broward. A.T. Perry from Palm Beach. And then a Ronde Gatson from American Heritage at Syracuse now. So three of the best receivers, if not the three best receivers in the ACC local. And they went to schools that Miami could have easily beaten those schools head-to-head if they would have put the energy. So we're just not getting the right ones. You add those three receivers to our receiving core, are we complaining about receiver every week on this podcast? No. Offensive line, you add some of those beasts we just talked about, are we talking about offensive line on this podcast? No. Linebacker. We, t- we had Michael Jones. Are we complaining about linebacker like we do every week on this podcast? No. So a lot of it's about getting the right guys. Then you also have to win battles for the no-doubters. I'm talking about your Dallas Turners on Alabama, your Jordan battles on Alabama, those no-doubt studs with character and talent. you got to win those you, battles. You just said it right there with character and with talent. And when you say get the right guys, it's not – well, how good of a football player is he? You have to have that combination of the character and the talent, and you have to know what you're getting into right with these guys because, look, there is that stigma attached with them. So with what the uh, – who I don't know who, who it was that, that sent in the voice uh, note, but what he's getting at is it seems like some fans out there are just saying that every single South Florida kid – is a bust and turns out this way because they're soft and they're divas. There is that stigma out there, and I'm not. I'm talking about from the league as well. They 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 always do their extra research with guys from down here. But it, you got to have the combination. There has to be the right infrastructure behind them too. That's the other thing, right? Part of and this is kind of getting into a, a deeper topic. But when you talk about the staff and the staff having worked. not having work together, right? A lot of it is the staff working with these South Florida kids. And I know a lot of them have had experience with it, but it's different when you're here in the city, right? That's what a lot of these other schools don't have to deal with. You take these kids out of the city and a lot of the distractions and the people around them are out of the picture. You're here in Miami. They have a bad day of practice. They can call up anyone that they want back home and say, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm going to go back home today and I don't really feel like getting in the extra work after practice, right? So th- when I, the infrastructure from the staff has to be there. It's not just, well, you're going to recruit a kid from South Florida. You got to know what to do with them and the right people to put around them and to put in place. So that w- is what the discussion needs to become. Mario has recruited South Florida kids and knows the South Florida kid. It's about putting the right people in place now to make sure that they reach their full potential. That's well said. And you mentioned the league has a stigma, some extra research on South Florida kids, and I'm sure that's true. 
but they also draft them more than any 100%. other one hundred percent than any other uh, area. So I don't mean it in a bad in, in a bad way necessarily, but I'm saying that the the caller also yeah it's not coming out of thin air right no. there's there are instances and there is that uh you know that diva stigma so to speak i mean we've seen it and more it's more than the kid it's more the environment around right. the kid you but know, again it's the, it's it, dude I, i'd make these trips to go recruit kids in the middle of nowhere right and it's not even the biggest schools a lot of times but they are in these environments even some of the big schools a lot of the biggest schools are in these, you know, as we saw from your rant earlier this season on, on Alabama, right? But their environment's just way different. There's It's all football all the time, right? So um, it's not to say that it's, it's just that Miami has the extracurricular uh, activities, but their environment needs to be set up a certain way where, you know, the second that something isn't going right, they want to just, you know, go back home. And, and you know, that's that's what it comes down to to me. And, you know, as we go through the names of some of these guys that have succeeded and some of the guys that have failed, so just giving two examples of guys that, to me, were very much disappointments or have been disappointments, uh, Big Baby Seymour and Thad Franklin. They're not what they have the talent to be and what they look like they would be. Their bodies have not developed the way they probably should that should be 10 pounds leaner. Big Baby should be leaner and, and more athletic. Both of those guys, you look at them, they just don't look like guys that have been putting in the work. I don't, I'm not there, but you know, they don't look mm -hmm. like it, and they're not performing like it, and they haven't developed like it. And when they signed, I talked to somebody who knows, knows this world, college coach, and he goes, those two kids are not going to pan out for what they should because look at the way they handle recruiting. And both those guys were very much up and down. There was some, some drama, you know, just it wasn't a smooth process. Now flip that and look at the guys that we just listed as having success. Marcus Tate, smooth recruiting. Um, you know, all the guys that went to mid-majors like Perry or Flowers or Steen when he went to Vanderbilt. Smooth sailing on the recruiting process. Um, you know, Michael Jones. These, these guys, they didn't have a lot of drama. Dallas Turner and Jordan Battle, you know, it was – they handle it like pros. So you will have your Dalvin Cooks and your Patrick Petersons where there's a dramatic story and the kids end up being great players. But some of the uh, chicks in the armor, you can see that during the recruiting process. So if you're recruiting South Florida and you're Cristobal, whether it's sleepers or big-time guys, traits and character. There's enough guys with traits that you can be selective on the character stuff. Even if they're guys that maybe like an A.T. Perry who is not, hasn't put it all together yet, you can see the traits, the height, the jumping ability. Coach him up. Yeah, you see the progress as a senior, which he's made a nice leap. He made a nice leap as a senior, and you coach him up. Micah Mays from Benjamin, who is not a full-on target yet, doesn't seem like it for Miami, but someone they're monitoring. He's an example of a guy with character, traits, track background. Maybe that's the right type of guy to get. Yeah. Because no one can tell me that Restrepo doesn't have heart. No one could tell me that Henry Parrish doesn't oh, have like heart. a Ray Ray Joseph looks like like a like the perfect example of 100 of that. So, yeah. all right, next one. Hey guys, this is Jordan Livingston, JL 2014 on Kane's Insight. The theme for this team the last 20 years has been underachievement. We never win games that we're not supposed to win, but we consistently lose to the underdog, and nothing was more indicative of that than last weekend when we were bad enough to fumble five times 
and unlucky enough to recover zero of them. And the only explanation for being consistently bad and consistently unlucky is that we're cursed. And while I think there are a lot of strong candidates, I blame Jim Laranega. Because Coach L overachieves so regularly and beats Duke in North Carolina so often, there's no karma left over for football. And I'm resigned to the fact that as long as Coach L is with Miami, the sports gods are on his side, and we're better off appreciating big-time basketball wins. Go Canes. Well, listen, if you're if you're insinuating we got to get rid of Coach L to turn the football program around, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm on board for that. Uh after last year's success, but, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, the underachieving, my outlook on it is this. I truly just believe that they just look at the U on their, on their uniform and they, they just expect to beat the team across the line. The problem is it's happened for so long that it's like, how do they not understand that, that at this point? Um, and last week was a perfect example of that. But at the same time, we also can't discredit the amount of parity in college football now. And we can't just look at the st- – And it's easy to say don't look at the amount of stars, right? I know that everyone wants to talk about the blue chip ratio and all that. But it doesn't – that doesn't really work for, the, for Miami's roster right now. So, you know, I don't know if that necessarily answers the question, but – yeah, no, I mean, one thing he raised that was interesting is he says, we've lost a lot of games we shouldn't have lost, and we've never, never won yeah. one that we shouldn't yeah. have won. So I think the simplest explanation for that That's is, why the Notre Dame win felt so, uh, you know, enlightening. Right. And we probably should have won that game. We had better players if you look at NFL. If you go back and look at NFL, we had better players in Notre Dame in that game. Mm-hmm. Just look, go up and look at, look, look at the NFL players. But, you know, I think part of the problem is the basic thing is we've been a bad team for 20 years. You know, the teams have not been good. So, like you mentioned, there's parity. And when you're a bad team, you're going to lose a lot. Or an average team. But when you saw Duke beat us, the guy did the, the U and smash it on his knee. That was on, like, major media outlets catching that. Why does it matter that a player from Duke is mocking another bad team? program or a team that's not has not done anything in a long time why does that matter well it's because it's miami so you end up you're getting the best shot from the teams that you're better than or equal 100%. to and you're not getting overlooked no by matter the good how teams. no matter how bad you are you're gonna get their best shot and the good teams are ready for you it's not like when we play these these big name teams like alabama or clemson that they just like suck they're like amped up they're going crazy they're all hyped up and then they kill us so it's like it's the worst of both worlds because we're not a good team but we're treated like a good team by our opponents. So I think that's the biggest reason why those outcomes keep happening. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Danny, Pete, what's up? It's Eche, West End Zone. Uh, yeah, man, just uh, wanted to get your two cents on a little bit of a rumor on with regard to a feud between Adai and Steele. And just generally the staff not liking each other, almost like a mutiny type situation to see if there's any truth at all to that. And then, you know, for as horrible as the season has gone and just complete dumpster fire, everything has been, um, you know, usually in situations like this, you know, you learn a lot about people and see uh, sort of who steps up or whatever you want to call it, uh, just to see if there's new leaders emerging, if there's, 
I guess people seeing an opportunity and taking it uh, to gain leadership roles in the team and so forth. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, first of all, congrats to Eche on, on his kid. The guy, ever since his wife had a kid, he's been posting like crazy, bitter as can be. You know, it's like he's he's starting fatherhood. These the bitterness started. I, early. I, it always, should take I time. always remembered him as a as a a, a sunshine bringer. Yeah, that's gone. But you know, as to his first question, you know, I'm not going to get into any kind of rumors and innuendo. But I'll say it's interesting. With Manny, the complaint was he's bringing in these homegrown guys that are going to be yes men to him, right? You know, he he trained these guys, so they're not going to be starting stuff with him. They're going to go with the program. Mario goes the total opposite way and gets guys alphas, alphas, and guys that he has no real connection with. He just this guy's did good here. I'll take him. This guy did good here. I'll take him. So, you know, it's there's got to be a balance, I think, in terms of familiarity and comfort. Either whether it's you know we came up from the same tree, even though we might not know each other, or something like that, where there's a common thread, Um, and then you know picking guys that maybe are just yes men. There's got to be a balance. Some disagreement is good, and, and we'll see how, how this develops over time. But, yeah, all of those guys had success at previous spots. They did not forget how to coach. But it's got to fit with each other. It's got to fit the program. Look at Dan Enos. Maryland's doing a lot better with him there than certainly Miami did with him. It's about fit. A lot of it is about, again, fit with each other and fit with the players. So, We'll see how the staff progresses. Some are going to be guys that stick around and like it and fit. And some won't. And that's what I said earlier about Mario learning the team and learning the staff. That's, it's happening the hard way in a very expensive fashion. How many players leave in the portal this offseason? Ballpark figure. Do we see a big turnover of players so Mario can get the sort of team he wants? I know you alluded to this one recently. but Yeah, and that's from uh, Britt Kane. Brick Kane, you see, we're international with Kane's Insight. We're all over the place. We're in Bali. I got I got people texting me from Bali, England, Australia, all kinds of people. So so shout out to Brit Kane. Um, but in terms of uh, transfer, the, again, the number I heard was six to ten impact guys, and and twenty four players coming in. So if you have, let's say, 34, 35 players coming in, there's got to be a lot coming out. Yeah. So I think there's going to be significant turnover. And there's not going to be guys really, I don't think, leaving early either. So, you know, that's it's not like it, it, you're going to have to find some guys who aren't here next year. A lot of grad transfer opportunities, guys just portaling. You know, Mario, he said he was going to bring discipline. You talked about it last week. That's something that's actually happening. He's, he's implementing – procedures and rules that are different and that are tough to comply with at times. I think a lot of, a lot of players are resisting. So you're going to see that lead to some turnover again. Butch Davis is the parallel. I'm not saying it's going to turn out like it turned out with Butch, but certainly that's the model he's following. You know, who did, so Cristobal, Jimmy, uh, Butch, and then Cristobal left to work with Shiano. These are hard ass coaches. Saban, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's what, Cristobal learned under. Right. So some guys are going to bristle under that. They're going to just not connect, um, and, and they'll be out. So it's going to be a lot of people leaving. But I think if you're looking for what's the nucleus of this class, and, and, and this gets to one of Etch's questions about the leaders, look to this recent recruiting class, guys like Wesley, et cetera, uh, Besaint. Look to guys like Camp Kitchens, um, James Williams, even though I know he's been up and down, he's still a solid player. At least that's the perception of him internally and and 
and externally. I know Kane's fans will probably disagree, but he has fans in the building and, and around the country for what he does. Um, you build around guys like that. Colby Young, A-plus guy character-wise from everything I'm hearing and you're producing. That's going to be the core of your team moving forward. You know, some of your transfers that you want to keep around, your Henry Parrishes, your Mesadors, your Daryl Jacksons. Um, that's what's going to be the, the building block. But if you're not in that core, it wouldn't surprise me to see you go. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot, lot of turnover, coaches and players. Well, obviously, you know, hope the Canes get the win this weekend against UVA. It's not going to be an easy task. It's another three and four team, but uh, this is what the rest of the season is, is going to look like. Uh, so just looking for positives moving forward, and hopefully they can string some things together. Yeah, it's like half of these seasons we've been not I have, but the fan base has been cheering for losses to try to get coaches fired. This coach didn't get there's fired. Not, there's nothing to root for negatively here. So let's come together, support the team, and uh, and hopefully they can get a W going into Florida State, which is going to be a huge opportunity. You definitely don't want to go in there on a two-game losing streak. So big game this weekend. Kane's Inside Podcast here at the FRM Studios, brought to you by Kane's Where, as we are every week. D, we'll be back next week, hopefully after a Canes W.